Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. One of our sponsors this week is the Can I Kiss You book. And if you listen to the show, you know that is actually my book. Came out in 2016, went number one for teen and young adult dating on Amazon new release. You can get that on Amazon. You can get that at datesafeproject.org. The book is Can I Kiss You? Hi, yes, I'm your host, Mike Damish, and thrilled to be here with a very special individual today for a one-on-one on the Everyday Mindfulness Show. This week's special guest is Lenora Billings-Harris, and you're going to find out all about her. She's amazing. She's incredible. And remember, if you're trying to, while you're, maybe you're watching the show online, you're like, hey, how do I find out about her right now? You can find all the links to our, on our website at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. That's everydaymindfulnessshow.com. But we're going to get right into this. Lenora, if you could let everybody know a little bit about yourself, what you do in the world, what's your unique ability and mission that you're sharing out there? Yes, well, I am so thrilled to be on your show because although my area of focus technically is diversity, inclusion, and unconscious bias, it actually has to do with mindfulness. And so what I really do is work with organizations that are serious about really grabbing diversity of thought. I mean, ultimately, the things that people do or the things that organizations do as it relates to diversity and inclusion has nothing to do with five of these and six of those and 12 of those. It really has to do with getting the right people on the team and then utilizing those right people so that they can give their best thought to be more innovative, to solve problems problems faster, you know, to make more money for the company when it is when it's for profit. Through the kinds of things that I do, I help people discover, first of all, that we all have bias. It's a normal thing. So they can get past feeling guilty that they had some biased thought. And then I help them understand physically where our biases come from, like what the neuroscience is behind it, so that, again, they can see it's not having anything to do with government regulations and all that kind of thing. And then we have some fun uncovering unconscious biases that most people don't think about that show up in the workplace or show up in the the community. So that's that's what keeps me busy. I've been doing it for almost 30 years. That's awesome. And for everyone listening and watching, I know Lenore because we're both in the National Speakers Association. And Lenore, let's just call it a legend. There's no doubt about it in the <laughs> industry. Uh, just an incredible individual, a, a former past president of the organization and been just remarkable in so many ways. And your spirit is always so present when you're, whether you're in a room or you're on a stage, you just have a sense of 
mindfulness about you that it's just, it just flows and it's, it's neat to be around. It's calming yet energizing. A big piece of what you do ties in so well with mindfulness, which is why we wanted to have you on also is that that unconscious bias can really influence how we think we're being mindful versus the reality of maybe we're not being so mindful because of these biases that we're bringing to the table. How do you best explain that, how that influences one's mindfulness in the world? Well, first of all, is it, you know, as I said a minute ago, is everybody has bias. So the first part to understand is that bias is not positive or negative. It's, it's neutral until you actually take action on it. But what gets in the way of being more mindful, being more focused on whatever it is you're doing or whomever it is you're interacting with, is to first recognize that you have to get rid of the noise. And all of us multitask, and we think we're good at multitasking, but the neuroscience indicates that we really are not good at it. And we really need to focus. So, for instance, something as simple as listening to a person when they say their name so that you can say their name back and say it correctly has to do with our need to jump in to say something back and say something based on what we think that person is about, just based on whatever our background is, instead of taking a breath and slowing down our brain processes so that we can be in what's called the prefrontal neocortex. That's a part of our brain where we can be more analytical, where we can really think more instead of the emotional part of our brain, which is where our our biases are. So I, I share with people what are some of those things in our everyday life that we have biases about so that the next time they encounter those situations, they can use some techniques so that they can not place that bias on a person. So for instance, tall men tend to have advantages that other men don't. Uh, Same thing for tall women to a degree. But in the US, men who are six feet tall or over over a 30-year period, make $166,000 more than a man who is 5'5 five, five or shorter. And that doesn't count compound interest. I hope people understand is, you know, it's not because necessarily they're any smarter. I'm not saying that they're not smart, but I help people to recognize those types of things so that they understand, you know, that comes comes from a neuro connector from a long time ago during caveman times where we thought the tall guy would protect the cry the the tribe because he could see danger from a long distance but we still look at tall men and think they're going to protect us and unconsciously give them advantages that other people don't how that has to connect again with mindfulness is once you know about some of these unconscious biases then the next time you're interacting in a team or making talent management decisions you can ask yourself you know am i comfortable with this person because they're really good at what they do? Or is it because of how they look? They look good in a blue suit and they're tall. And many other things, that's just an example. But I help people see in a fun way, oh gosh, you know, I I heard this person but I didn't really hear them or I was giving them credit because of their accent, for instance, or how tall they are. And then we go into some strategies with uh, helping people really analyze the processes within their own organization where they are, where there are built-in biases that cause them to not be so mindful in their decision-making. Oh, and we see it on stage. And in my line of work, for instance, speaking on sexual issues, as a man on stage, people go, oh, 
Isn't that nice? It's a man talking. And, and there's this other level of credibility that's ridiculous. It, it's mm-hmm. purely based on gender. And, and, and other things can contribute to that. The fact that I would be considered tall, uh, that I have a certain frame uh, about mm-hmm. myself. And, so, and that's not big and muscular frame, but it's just the, the, even the thin frame. And the biases that creates in audiences that people don't want to acknowledge. Like the audience member doesn't want to acknowledge they're doing that because then they think, well, I... I'm being prejudiced or biased, and that's a bad. Like you said, that's a, they think it's bad. And so we get into these battles with the word privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people get very upset over the word privilege. And really what you're saying is these are all unconscious biases, these, exactly. uh, these privileges. So how do you address that? You, you're, you're clearly going, yep, with a privilege, this, it's a hot <laughs> issue. More than unconscious bias. That seems like a safe thing to say. We have unconscious biases. But you say someone has privilege, and people, I do not have privilege. Uh, is there a significant difference in those terms or are they very close and there's some small differences? Well, there are differences in that first people have to understand that unconscious bias is a process in our brain that happens whether we want it to or not. And privilege comes from recognizing all of who you are because we don't see the world the way it is. We see the world the way we are. And that's not good, bad, right or wrong. So, for instance, I was born in Newark, New Jersey. So I'm a Northeasterner, even though I live in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I know there are biases towards people from the Northeast. And there are biases uh, about people that live uh, in the South. Now, when we move that then to privilege, so people have to first understand bias and unconscious bias. And then when we talk about privilege, the way the way I frame it and other experts frame it is we call them micro advantages and micro disadvantages. So a micro advantage for me, for example, is that I'm five nine. So that's uh, well shrinking as I get older, but trying to hang on to that last We all are. We all are. (laughs) Um, But as a 5'9 woman, I didn't realize the privilege that I had when I was in the workplace, that maybe sometimes I was getting opportunities because I spoke well and I was tall and that created comfort with people that I worked with, because I usually, quite honestly, was the the only black person working in my department or the first black person to have the whatever the position was that I had. But the bias of being tall and well-spoken or articulate, as some people would say, was an advantage for me. And that came about from my background. Now, obviously, I had nothing to do with how tall I am, but my grandfather and grandmother, who raised me for several years when I was young, instilled in me to speak correct English. Not that I'm perfect with it, but they wouldn't let me develop a New Jersey accent, and they wouldn't let me use slang terms. So that has advanced my career, but let's switch it. What I realized after I started learning more about unconscious bias, because although I've been doing work in the in the space of diversity and inclusion for almost 30 years, we've really only had the research, the neuroscience research for about the last 15. And so when I started understanding how bias and unconscious bias works, I realized, oh my gosh, I have a bias about grammar. I was judging other people based on how they talk. And one of the things I share with my audience is, um, because I try to to 
be vulnerable to them to help them know just because I've been doing this a long time and other people see me as a pioneer in this area that I am still learning and I'm a human being like anyone else so I have biases just like anyone else but I would share with them that my last corporate position as a leader I am sure that I probably created a barrier for some people and they didn't get hired or didn't get placed in certain jobs because of my bias regarding how they spoke. And maybe the way they spoke would have had nothing to do with the quality of uh, what was needed in that job. So, so it's really about allowing yourself to forgive yourself first, that you have bias, get over it, and then be introspective, be reflective, pay more attention to how quickly you jump to conclusions. Because we don't argue with our own data. So when you shake someone's hand, for instance, if they give you a what I call a dead fish handshake, we jump to all kinds of conclusions. Oh, that person is weak and they're not confident and they're not going to be a good leader. Well, guess what? It's only a handshake. It is not not a good leader or not confident. That's the conclusion we jump to because of our bias, which comes from our background. We've been taught in the U.S. you should have a firm handshake. So I help people see those things, have fun with it, realize that, yep, we all do those kinds of things, and then set the stage for them to know how to look at some of those biases that are more closely related to prejudice and stereotypes. They don't have to bear their soul in a workshop, but they know some questions to ask themselves, like, what triggers me? What causes me to feel comfortable or uncomfortable with someone? And where did that come from? Did it come from direct experience with someone? Or did it come from lack of experience with someone who looks like that person? Or was I impacted because of what I see in the media and movies and that kind of thing? So yet again, they can say, oh, okay, that's where it came from. And maybe it was useful way back then, but it's not useful now. And what can I do to include that person, to bring them in to the conversation instead of making assumptions about them? And I think language is a great example to jump off the board on this with, because for years, business success discussions were always about never to swear, never to, <laughs> and that these were signs of a lack of intelligence. And many of us were raised this way, like that, that you can choose other words. And then you have a bias when somebody gets up in front of you and swears, and you're like, well, that wasn't very smart. And they're brilliant people oh. who are, interestingly enough, being more authentic because they're just yes. like, I'm just being me. I'm just saying what I'm saying. Like, if that's you, you got a problem. And, so, and they're not being rude. They're not being disrespectful. They're not degrading other people. It's the word choice they're using in that sentence, but it's not directed at someone to do harm. And so, and yet we go, oh, how could they? And our, <laughs> and our own industry does this in the speaking world. A lot of people do it. And I'm like, it's so strange that, and, and I would, and I had the bias for a long time. And now I, it, it, being able to have that vulnerability and go, what, what was I thinking? Like, why in the world? But you look back and you go, oh, I was, that's what, what somebody taught me. Your yeah, parents taught you. Right. Your parents taught you. And so I, we're taught this, right? And same thing. My parents taught that. It, and yet you go, wow, what, what am I doing? And, and what's interesting is we also do it in our relationships at home. Like you were saying, we start, we start to jump ahead of what they're going to answer because we have a bias of where this conversation is going. And I, I, when I talk to doing training on this topic of you know help, helping people be more themselves in front of a room when we're working at the military and doing training, we talk about this all the time, that if you're not listening to the person who you think is heckling you, they're going to eat you alive. Right. Because mm -hmm. the moment you aren't listening 
and you respond to something they said in the first 30 seconds of their response, but they kept talking for 30 more seconds and the response changed in the last 30 seconds, they're firing back at you going, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. I, but you don't know what they said because you stopped listening. Exactly. And spouses are the, we can be the worst. And I don't mean my spouse, I mean me can be the worst at this and having to constantly catch myself. And I never thought of it as a bias. I thought of it as saving time. Like I got it. Right. So <laughs> that type of thing, but it comes off as arrogant that you think, you know what I'm going to say. And it is a bias that I think I know what you're going to say. And I, so I think it's interesting for everyone to listen, listening to think, where do I do this? Where do I jump ahead in my mind when talking to anybody about anything? It doesn't have to be your spouse. It could be work related. Where am I jumping ahead going? I got it. I got it. Before the sentence is done, before another two minutes is done. Yes. Well, I, you know, it's interesting you bring that one up because I know when I am stressed for time that if I'm on a Zoom call or even face to face with someone and I know we've got to hurry, we have to finish this by a certain time that I have a tendency to interrupt, which can be seen as very rude. And so I'm much more aware of it now. I'm more mindful of it. So hopefully I don't do it as much. However, when somebody's talking and I think, OK, I got that part. Now we got to go to the next thing because we've got 15 things on the agenda. And and I realize that mm, that comes across as being disrespectful to some people. But you have to be aware of it first. That's the first step. And it was interesting you, you brought up the whole idea around cursing because one of my clients who I'm, I'm doing a great deal of work with them all over the country, and they are an advertising firm. And they do tend to curse a lot more than your typical corporate client. And every time someone does... I, I, it catches me for a second, but I, I realize that my bias is you're not supposed to do that so I can move on. I mean, I don't miss what they're saying. It's like, oops, yep, they did that. And now, now move on because to your point, I mean, that they're just expressing the way they want to express. And so many organizations have all the right words on their websites about how important their people are and how much they they create an environment where you can be authentically who you are and you can show up 100%. And then when they do bias and unconscious bias work and being more mindful, they realize, oh, we do an awful lot of things that say it's not okay to be certain ways, to act certain ways, to look certain ways. And then they wonder why they're not getting 100% from, from some people or why people come on board, but then it's a revolving door and they leave because they didn't feel included. And one of the things, and you, I'm sure you probably know this because of the work you're doing with my mindfulness, is that what researchers are saying is that Maslow was almost right. Maslow said in the 40s that our most basic need was food and water and then shelter and then belonging. And now what researchers are discovering through their neuroscience as well as more psychological um, study is that belonging is the most basic need for human beings, our need to connect with one another. So when we have those micro messages, those little things that say you're not okay, what they have discovered is our brain interprets those, those um, exclusive behaviors, those behaviors that push us away, that our brain equates that to physical pain. You know, when you think of the fact that you say something off the cuff or you inter you interrupt someone, that's like physical pain in the brain of that person. I was with a client yesterday and they were doing an exercise to think about something from their background that shapes how they see the world today. One woman shared that um, she just can't 
can't handle being around anyone at work that yells. Now, you know, most of us would think yelling in the workplace is not okay, um, but many of us, it doesn't bother us one way or the other. You know, if you're one of six kids and you grow up with everybody yelling to get a word in, it's like no big deal. What she said was that as she thought about it, and she, it was, it was a, an epiphany for her because she didn't know why it bothered her until we had gone through this exercise and she realized that it came from when she was a little girl. Her parents had divorced, but before then, they yelled and screamed at each other all the time when she was small. So, you know, think of the impact that has on kids and um, how they either think it's totally okay or not. And, you know, how they might interpret, well, oof, if adults are yelling with each other, they're going to split up or something really bad is going to happen. So when you go through the exercise of figuring out where some of these uh, thoughts have come from in uh, in our background, then we're better able to understand uh, why we have those thoughts in the first place. And then we can mitigate it. We really can't totally get away, can't get rid of our biases. But when we become more aware of them, then we can behave in a different way. Well, and I think if you're a parent out there right now, it'd be interesting to ask yourself, how many biases have you taught your children? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And can you now go back and reverse engineer those biases? to acknowledge to them, for instance, if you're one who said, you know, uh, when someone's swearing, they're not using intelligent language, to go back and go, well, that was foolish. You know, what, <laughs> what I said was foolish. Uh, it was a way I had a bias and I put that bias on you. Uh, now, to degrade another human being is a different conversation. But, but to use language that I would not use does not mean it's not proper for you to use it and to be your voice. And I think that's one people that struggle with is, well, I wouldn't swear. Well, I can say to myself, I I would rarely use that language in my own life, but that doesn't mean I can't be perfectly okay with everyone around me using it without me thinking I need to use it. Mm -hmm. It, It's Mm -hmm. it's not, like you said, it's not a good or bad. It's uh, okay. It's okay. And then it it gets more complicated in the workplace when you add gender bias. So if there's if you're in a workplace where there are lots of men, not that many women, and the guys do curse, then sometimes women feel that they have to act more like guys and curse like them in order to fit in, and it doesn't work. They're trying to figure out, okay, what is the right behavior to fit in here, rather than both men and women recognizing that we actually are different, and that's a good thing <laughs> that we're different, you know, how we interpret interpret messages so, so differently. And and look at all of these rules that we have in our head on how it is we're supposed to be. I think a perfect example of messages that parents, um, a message that parents gave their kids a long time ago, and I'm so thrilled to hear that uh, younger parents, meaning I'm a older baby boomer, so parents that are younger Gen Xers and some of the older millennials now that are starting to have kids. In my generation, when I was a child, my grandparents always told me to eat all your food, clean your plate. Well, no wonder the United States has so many overweight people, because we have that voice in our head that says we're not supposed to waste. And now we know we're not supposed to waste, but the way we interpret that into behavior is that means eat all this food, even if I'm not, you know, that it's not going to be good for me, even though I paid for it and it's not healthy, but we still eat it. And I'm, I'm pleased to see that more parents are not giving their kids that message anymore. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% because it used to be, you're right, your eyes are bigger than your stomach and now you're going to eat that, you know, that type of thing. So, you know, there are, there are people on the other end of the world. Okay, that's true. There are people on the other end of the world starving, but there's people starving down the street also. Yeah. It doesn't change me eating this meal. It has no impact on it whatsoever. But, but they were taught that by a bias that was given to them. And so, and that's, I think, important for people to think about it. What you don't want to do in this process is blame the past person who taught you the bias because that's not going to help. Understand it, say, where did that come from? Which I think you brilliantly explained without like shaming, like how yes. dare they teach me that? Because somebody taught them that. Yeah. And it made sense to them at that yeah. time. And we believed it too. It made sense to us. So how dare we shame them for something that made sense to us too? It's, it's contradictory. What are other major ones that, you, that in everyday life are ones people can think about so one that is pervasive, and uh, but by the way, the uh, the height bias is not just in the U.S. It's it's worldwide. The the height number changes, you know, six feet versus you know whatever who, whatever's considered tall in in another country. But another one that is pervasive is accent, and our brains are lazy. I mean, the primary function of our brain is to keep us alive and keep keep us safe. So our brain doesn't really want to work hard enough to listen to an accent different than our own. And what happens then is when we are not mindful, when we are not paying attention, when we listen to someone whose accent is very different than our own, we have a tendency to think that person is not trustworthy. And our brains shut down because we stop listening. To your point earlier, when you hear the first part of a heckler, but you don't pay attention to the second part, it's, it, that happens similarly when you're listening to someone with an accent. So we, we make up all kinds of things about them, like the north-south accent bias. And um, I just got back from London, and certainly uh, within uh, England, there is a bias about British English. Now, the one accent worldwide that people will think you are trustworthy is British English because the British Empire touched every continent except Antarctica. When it's brought to our awareness, then people are realizing, oh, right, you know, I, I was judging this person thinking they couldn't handle certain opportunities or certain jobs because of how they speak, when really it was, they are brilliant, but I just wasn't listening to them. And then you add it to the fact that we don't want to offend other people. And so we think that the best thing to do is to not ask them to repeat or to slow down when in fact that's what we need to do so that we could really hear. And that says to the person, I am really focused on what you're saying right now and I really want to understand it. So once again, it's about slowing down taking a breath, getting that oxygen in our brain so that the protein and glucose in the analytical and focused part of our brain will kick in. Now you're talking right there about that slowing down, taking a breath. How do you apply mindfulness to your everyday life? You're also on the road a lot. You're, 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 you and I were just talking before the show that you just got back from England, going back to England. How are you applying that to whether it be a day where you got to get up super early in the morning or a day where you get to sleep in? How do you apply that everyday mindfulness? Well, a couple of things. And I'm, this is always a work in progress. I'm not always doing it as much as I would like to. But I um, will meditate. I have a program that you can find on uh, in your app store. It's called Morning yoga, uh, cup, morning cup of yoga, morning cup of, cup of yoga. That's what it's called. Uh, cup we'll, of find, yoga. we'll find it and put in the links yeah. also yeah. on the show and notes. And it's 15 minutes and it's, it's really more of stretching. So you're, you're not having to get on the floor to do any yoga positions. I find that when I do that, 
I am so much more centered. So I attempt every day to start before I listen to all the crazy news and that type of thing that I will read something inspirational and then I will uh, do my cup of yoga and depending on how much time I have then I'll, I'll uh, work out and one of the things that I've started doing uh, learned this from a colleague of mine who just bought one of those uh, walking desks. So it's a treadmill yep. and there's a desk on it. And I said, well, how do you do the work? And you're trying to run at the same time. And so we talked about what speed to put the, the treadmill at. And I have a treadmill, not a walking desk. But so I'll get on the treadmill and I'll and I'll go fast. I really walk more than I run, um, but I'll, I'll walk at a good pace. But then I'll slow down and that's when I can read email. I'll be doing it slow enough so that I can type on my phone or that kind of thing. And so getting that exercise really helps, especially when my schedule is very hectic because with the travel and sitting in, in uh, airplane seats that are not always comfortable and don't you don't have enough room, I'm always concerned about making sure I don't get a backache from standing for a long time with my client if I'm delivering a workshop as opposed to a keynote in particular, or if I'm going on going on long trips. And then the other is, is listening to some music. I like, um, I love the theater. And so I listen to show tunes and, and uh, fun things that are upbeat, like uh, Wicked and The Wizard of Oz and things like that. Very cool. That's awesome. Is there a certain book that you have found or two books uh, that you have found really helped you on your path on, on mindfulness and awareness? Oh, gosh, let's let me look it up right happen to have my phone here. One of them is it's I don't remember the title of it. So I have to look it up right now. It's 306. It's got an inspirational thought each day. And it's, it's 365 science of mind, a year of daily wisdom. And science of mind, a lot of people are, are not familiar with it. It's it's not Scientology. It's totally different from that. It talks about ways to see things in a different way, you know, to be more kind, to be more civil, to recognize that we are all on this planet together. And as you know, because of our connection through NSA, um, the foundation of my business is from a proverb called the one word proverb is Ubuntu, which means I am because we are we are because I am. So really, that's the foundation of my work is to help people recognize that all of us are connected. And without saying it that way, because I know that that won't necessarily resonate with some people. There's another book uh, from a, that a colleague of ours just wrote, I think it just came out uh, in the, the latter part of August called um, Good Enough Now. Oh yeah, by, that's Jess. Uh, Jessica yeah, Pettigrew. Yes, yes. Yeah, Jessica yep. Pettigrew. I just, I love it. You know, it's just a, a reminder of, you know, we don't have to keep comparing ourselves to other people. We can't, we can't totally not do that. But the more we can get centered in our day to realize that I am enough right now. And uh, whatever I'm experiencing in this day, hopefully I'm going to learn something from it. Or even if it's not as heavy as, okay, I got to learn something every day, but I'm going to be comfortable with it. I won't be needing to judge other people about it, whatever it is. And to realize that when, when it's something negative, um, I do have to keep reminding myself, you know, this too shall pass, you know, it's going to be another day. And it's so much though about um, breathing and breath to help us slow down because when we get tense we don't breathe deeply and that's part of the problem i think 
I want to thank you so much for sharing you, your brilliance, your soul with us. It's been wonderful. For, uh, for anybody watching right now or listening to the show right now and thinking, hey, how do I find Lenora? Well, everything is at our website, as always, everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Thank you, Lenora. For everyone listening right now, remember, you can subscribe to the show, leave a review on iTunes. And between now and next week's show, may you live an, a, a life of everyday mindfulness. Thanks so much, Mike. Three quick reminders. One, please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes. Already subscribed? Then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show. Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, reviews help more people find out about the show. Would you please go into iTunes and write a review? Doing so helps spread the mission of the show. Thanks. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.